Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. So let's begin the message this way. Why did Luke write his Gospel? Because he wanted to provide an orderly account, right? A well-documented, well-researched, orderly account of the things that God had done in space and time to bring about his redemptive plan. Specifically, he wanted Theophilus. He was writing to Theophilus. We've, we've studied that months ago, back in September. But he wanted Theophilus to have confidence in the things he was being taught about Jesus. I bring that up this morning because I just want to reemphasize that it is important as we go through Scripture that we know and remember and recall why a certain passage of Scripture has been written. And so it's important to remember why Luke wrote his gospel because inevitably we will come to an issue in the gospel of Luke about Jesus. Perhaps we will ask, why did Jesus say that? Perhaps we will ask, why did Jesus do that? Perhaps we will ask, why isn't this specific aspect of Jesus' life recorded? And remembering then why Luke actually wrote the gospel helps to bring clarity to questions like that. I want to actually apply this to uh, our text this morning in asking, why is so little recorded of Jesus' early life? And if we uh, remember why Luke wrote the gospel, it helps to answer the question. Of course, we know that when we approach Luke's gospel, we, we have a lot of information concerning his conception. We have a lot of information related to his birth. Uh, Luke has written about the forerunner, John. He's written about the angelic visitation that was made to Zechariah and also to Mary. We know all about how they got to Bethlehem and why. We know about the angelic announcement to the shepherds. And then if we go on into the gospel, we begin to see that there is page upon page about Jesus' life from the age of 30 through 33. Information about his teaching, about his disciples, about miracles, enemies, friends, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. But when we come to his early childhood, when we think about his teenage years, and that's kind of interesting to think about Jesus as a teenager. Did he have acne? I'll bet he did. When we think about his early adulthood, his 20s, almost nothing. Mostly silence. Why? Why so much information about the very beginning and so much information about a three-year period that leads to his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, but almost nothing about a 20-year span of his life? Well, I'm going to bring this answer to you. The why, I believe, is answered in these two things. The silent years as I'm calling them, have basically nothing to do with who he is or why he came. In other words, during those years, nothing was added, nothing transpired that would help us to understand more about who he is and why he came. His conception, the angelic visits, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, they all speak volumes about his identity, who he is. And when we look at his ministry and his miracles and his death and resurrection and ascension, it speaks of his identity. And it speaks of uh, why he came. The period of silence exists because there's almost nothing transpiring that address those two issues, who he is or why he came. A little bit is given, and that which is given 
we're going to be looking at over the next two Sundays. Two glimpses are given to us about those early years, the developmental years. Number one, there's a very general statement about Jesus' development. And then we find a specific occurrence that took place around the age of 12 when we hear him actually talk about who he is and why he came. This morning, I want us to begin with that general statement about Jesus' development. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 and 40. When we read these two verses, and when they, that is Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Although the biblical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Give us a little information about Jesus' developmental years. That is, not to say that there aren't accounts out there that attempt to do that. There are some so-called gospels that exist out in the world that do actually speak their version of Jesus' childhood. One of those is called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Now, don't confuse the Infancy Gospel of Thomas with Another work that is called the Gospel of Thomas. And and don't confuse either one of those with the disciple Thomas, the one who we call Doubting Thomas, because there's no relation to any of the three. But in this work called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, uh, there are some alleged events about Jesus' childhood, his early developmental years. Here's just a couple. In chapter 3 of that work, Uh, It is reported that young Jesus uh, one day made some clay birds. He was doing a little art project. And after he made the clay birds, he took it a step further and decided to give the birds life. And so he pronounced life upon them and the clay birds flew away. In chapter 4 of the infancy book or gospel of Thomas, it tells of Jesus' interaction with another child. And as children do, uh, they're out playing and rocks are being thrown. And uh, so this child throws a rock, and I don't know whether he intended to do it or not, but you know, purportedly hit Jesus on the shoulder with the rock. And Jesus was none too happy, according to this account. And he pronounced a curse upon the boy. Quote from the, uh, the, the infancy gospel, it says that Jesus said, Thou shalt not finish thy course, end quote. And then straightway, the boy fell down and died. Well, you would imagine that the parents of the boy wouldn't be too happy about that. And so they went to complain to Joseph and Mary. And and according to this infancy gospel, then Jesus struck the parents with blindness. Because who likes complainers? (laughs) Chapter 9 of the infancy gospel of, uh, of, uh, of Thomas tells of a man in Nazareth who was hacking away at some wood with an axe, and he accidentally missed and cut off the sole of his foot. He lay there in the village square, bleeding to death, and just before he passed into eternity, or was going to pass into eternity, Jesus happens along and lays his hands on him and heals him, restores him to full health. Like I say, the biblical gospels give us almost nothing. But there are other so-called gospels out there that give all kinds of fanciful stories. 
Please take this under consideration that neither the gospel of Thomas nor the infancy gospel of Thomas hold any credibility whatsoever among scholars. They have been shown to be heretical, spurious, and fraudulent. I just added all three of those words even though they kind of mean the same thing just to make sure that you understand where I stand with those things. They're of no value. They're actually grouped with a a number of writings that are out there that are known as apocryphal or pseudopigraphal writings. If you want to know the definitions of those, we can talk after the service. And, uh, And thus, they are not part of the recognized canon of Scripture. Now, that all leads us then to a true gospel account, the gospel of Luke. And Luke gives us very little information, just three basic statements here as it relates to his childhood prior to the age of 12, Uh, Three statements in verse 40 that are simple, that are very understated, and they are these. Take note, that he lived a normal childhood life, growing physically and developing cognitively. Number two, that he learned those early lessons that every child must learn. He learned them as well. And finally, Luke tells us in verse 40 that he matured in his spiritual relationship with his heavenly father. He lived his life. He learned his lessons. He matured in his spiritual relationship with his heavenly father. You may wonder as you hear that how this relates to the title that I've given to today's message. And here's the connection. I contend that these statements made in verse 40 show Jesus exercising specific rights that God has given for every child that he creates. The right to life, the right to learn, and the right to know God. Now, anticipating that someone in this audience would take issue with my use of the word rights, I wanted to define the word so that you would understand how I am using the word in the context of this message. Here it is, rights, a moral or legal entitlement. When I speak of rights this morning, the rights of children, I'm speaking about either moral entitlements or legal entitlements to have or obtain something or to act in a certain way. As we consider Luke's commentary that Jesus lived, learned, and knew his heavenly father, I want us to think about the children of our time. Do they have the same rights? Do they have the right to live? Do they have the right to learn? Do they have the right to know God? That's what I want to talk about with you today. And if so, what if any responsibility do we bear to advance and defend those rights in our culture. The first statement Luke writes in verse 40 is that the child, Jesus, grew and became strong. He grew and became strong. In other words, Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his life. The natural course of life as God created it is that as a child lives, he will mature physically. That he will become strong. That's what God's intention is for children. It's the way he's designed it to be. He wants them to become capable of doing all the things that people are created to do. And just as it's true of you and me, it is true of Jesus. He was given physical life. And having been given physical life, he went about exercising his right to live it. I'm almost embarrassed to say this. Because it seems so self-evident, it seems so simple, so elementary, and yet it must be said because we live in a culture that increasingly does not see life as a right to be lived. I suppose if one thinks of life as an accident of nature, 
something generated by mere chemical reaction, then we might believe that, that life is not a right to be lived, but more of a privilege to be given by those who presently live, that they can decide whether or not the life has value, has meaning, can move forward. But if life is no accident, if in fact life is instead planned by God, then no one but God has the right to end life. And until God exercises his right to bring life to a close, each person has the divine right to life. Scripture's filled with divine revelation that life is no accident, but instead is actually superintended by God. Let me show you one of those passages. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 say this. For you, the you there and all throughout the passage is referring to God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. The days were formed for me when I was yet, when there was, when when as yet there was none of them. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.